You've stopped in at the guidepost. Brought to you by the American Saltwater Guides Association. Stock up on gear, grab a coffee at the counter, and get ready to hear incredible fish stories from the best captains on the East Coast and thought-provoking conversations with stakeholders and policymakers working to protect these fisheries. This podcast is presented by Costa Sunglasses. Hello, everyone, and welcome to season two of The Guidepost. It's just Tony here today. I'm all by my lonesome, but I do have two special guests. Uh, If you are on social media, if you are on Instagram, you may have seen a video recently of a net that was found in one of the spawning tributaries of the Chesapeake Bay. Um, Now, this was not just a normal net out there, you know, every day doing whatever. Uh, This net was actually doubled over and tied to a vessel over a pretty long period of time. And you could see some really big stripers in there, some big bass rolling around with some other species of fish. And, uh, and when you, when you look at that net and you understand these fish are staging for their spawn, really starts to make you think uh, a lot of things uh, and and I'm sure you can find the video if you if you search hard enough for it on Instagram so uh, I don't want to spoil too much of it I didn't take the video the reason why we have these two guys on here tonight is because they did so everyone welcome Brennan and Chris uh, that the uh, kayak anglers who took the video and are, and are kind of going to tell us what they saw and what they experienced over the course of a couple of days how are you two gentlemen doing today very good very good thanks for having us well thanks thanks for taking a little bit of your time and hopping on this podcast so um so y'all are fishing in a uh in an area in one of the tidal tributaries and i heard y'all were having a pretty good day the first day how many how many days did y'all go down for to fish down there guys um so i yeah, three days, and I'd been down there one day the prior week, uh, okay. just for, for the Thursday before. And yeah, fish fishing was good. Uh, the day that I was there, the previous week, and that first day we were there, uh, and it got, you know, progressively tougher. And we kind of figured out the reason behind that uh, as you saw in the videos so brennan paint paint the picture you know the listeners are pretty much all rabid fishermen brennan and chris paint the picture of that first day that y'all show up you launch your kayaks and y'all yeah, so, start fishing so we launched our kayaks uh that monday and you know it, it had been pretty cold uh, the night before and that morning so we you know we weren't too sure what to expect uh you know, early season striper fishing can be tricky, uh, to say the least. Um, but it ended up being a really good day. I think, uh, you know, it was me, Chris, and we had another buddy out there and there was a few other anglers around. Um, and everybody, you know, got a few fish, really good day, uh, despite the cold water. And that first day we'd noticed a large commercial boat coming in. Uh, we didn't know if it was a commercial boat at the time. Uh, we weren't too sure what they were doing. They also had a couple small skiffs with them. And, you know, we pretty quickly realized, all right, they're they're working. Uh, we didn't know if they were, you know, 
putting in channel markers or messing with, you know, buoys or we, we really didn't know. Um, <clears throat> I think at some point in the day, we kind of realized, you know, all right, they're, we think they're netting shad in the back of this bay. And, you know, none of us. And before, you know, before we, everyone freaks out, they're talking about gizzard shad. Yeah. Not, not American or hickories. Cause that would that'd be a big no, no. So they're, they're in there. And, and I, I mean, I, I've, I've been striper fishing a couple of times in my life. So I'm guessing those big girls were in there smashing gizzard shad that were probably pre-spawn as well. Right. Yep. Yep. They were up in the shallows, following the gizzards around. Um, so, you know, we all kind of acknowledged it and said, Oh, that's kind of a shame that they're back here netting, knowing there's stripers in here. But, you know, we assumed, you know, they're probably doing it the right way. I'm sure if they get any bass in the nets, they're, they're getting them out safely and all that. Um, and, and Chris jump in whenever, if you want, but, you know, we, we continued fishing, you know, that day and the next day and noticed the number of bait and the bass that we were seeing started to kind of thin out a bit. Uh, and the, the conditions were actually getting better uh, to point that out. The water temperature started war warming up into the, you know, the preferred kind of area that we wanted. Um, <clears throat> so that third day, which is when the video was taken, the fishing had gone off a cliff. I mean, we weren't, seeing we were seeing a fraction of the amount of bait uh the nets had then moved out from the back and they started netting kind of more of the main areas of the bay and they were actually and, netting like right where we were fishing and had the good fishing like the first day and a half and like the second day we kind of left that area and like as soon as we left that area they came in and started netting and like we left it with lots of shad and we didn't go back over there because now there was like a 250 foot or 500 foot like seine net going across. But uh, that was actually like the first time I realized that they were actually netting fish. Like I, I thought they were building a dock or something. Yeah. Or doing some kind of construction work like in the back somewhere. But uh, yeah, it was the third day that boat was just uh there was no boats actually the third day. Yeah. They just had the net tied up. We were out there at like seven in the morning and saw the net and it was full of fish, full shad. And we noticed that there were some bass in there, some nice big stripers. So was that Chris, was that day, the end of day two, the beginning of day three? When did you, when did you notice all of that? It was like, halfway through the second day they moved their net to where we were fishing and uh but it was the third day that we actually went over to their net and saw like what was in it and like exactly what it was we didn't get too close like the the second day because they were busy working over there so we kept our distance but yeah the third day there was no one around they just had their net tied up to the shoreline and uh, so we were able to just go over and like check it out. So it yeah, looked we, on we the went video over there at sunrise. Yeah. So so they they had left it there all night with with the fish in it. Um, now to point out, it, at that time it wasn't in the state that it was in that video. It was a little bit more opened up, um, and the bass seemed to be doing much better than they were in that video. Um, and then we 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 left and went on with our day at that point. That was you know very early in the morning.
And then the skiffs came back at probably 9 a.m. and followed by like the bigger commercial boat. And they started working on the net for a few hours from like maybe nine till one. And uh, then they left again. And we went over at like two o'clock. I actually was pedaling by there at like two o'clock and I heard thrashing. I didn't even see the net. I just heard it. And I went over there and the net was now folded over. And I texted Brendan right away. I was like, dude, the net situation has gotten a lot worse. Like now the fish are all crammed together, like real tight. And like, we got to call DNR. And I like called DNR immediately because it was looking like pretty serious. It was like looking like a pretty bad, a pretty bad scene. Like big stripers with their tails out of the water. And like fish were belly now, up. How many, now how many uh, guys, I, I know it's hard because, you know, the net was folded over and it was on the boat. It was on the transom of the boat. And you know how long the net was. I mean, it looked like there was an awful lot of, yeah, there were gizzard shad, but those were not gizzard shad I saw thrashing around. Those are some those are some big fish. You could see their tails. You could see them kind of like in an odd position, like they were they were getting smushed together. Like what are, what are we talking here? So the you know the people at home can kind of like get a picture of like uh, I don't know. It's hard for me to say take a guess at how many fish were there were there were a lot of fish in the net. That's that's what I'm getting at, right? I mean, it was it was enough to kind of make you all be like. Uh, some some's not right, right? All right, one to four bass tails out of the water, Brennan. You know what are we, what are we talking about when you kind of extrapolate that out? Like the net was still pretty deep, right? I mean, it wasn't this wasn't in like two foot of water, and it also had some length to it. Yeah, it was it was in about eight foot of water, and it was a very large net. Um, it's hard for me to say, you know, how many bass were in there, um, but. As Chris said, you know, at, at any point in time, we could see, you know, one one to four fish at a time. Um, and it, it was pretty clear there was most likely a good number more that were beneath the surface that we could not see uh, just because of the sheer amount of fish that were in there. I mean, there was there was carp and all kinds of stuff in there. There was a ton of shad, as you can see in the video. Um, and I mean, these weren't small stripers as you can tell by the tails on some of the fish. I mean, they were, you know, the 30, 40 pound range, you know, maybe some a little smaller than that, maybe some bigger. I don't know, but there was a decent number of them in there. Y'all weren't, sure. weren't back there catching schoolies. No. Yo, and I'll just leave it. I'll leave it at that. So, you know, a couple things and, and just in the interest of fairness. Um, so, you know, we looked up the we looked up the regs and the regs you know right now in y'all were in the maryland portion of the bay in a spawning tributary and that's as that's as far as we're gonna go i'm glad these guys hopped on i'm certainly not gonna give anyone any idea of where they were um but right now there's a gillnet and a hall sane season that are both open so i'm this was a hall sane for sure because our gillnets um, are drift gillnets. They're, they're not anchored. So those are usually used in the main stem of the bay. And in the tributary, a hall scene makes a lot more sense. So, um, you know, as, as long as a commercial fisherman has a striped bass ITQ for this season, an in individual quota for this season, um, 
they they would be allowed to do this um but <laughs> there's there's a rule you know commercial fishermen in maryland for striped bass cannot keep a fish over 36 inches and what it sounds like to me is that these guys pinned some real big fish in those nets and and the thing that i'm having a hard time with is why are you why are you doubling that net up and tying it to your boat and not releasing these fish as quickly as possible unharmed now they can say a lot of the, oh, the net was full of other fish we had to pick through this we had to pick through that you know it took us time still no reason to take that risk when you're basically intercepting a wave of spawning female striped bass and this would certainly be wave one and for striped bass there's four waves of spawn but that first wave is the biggest fish which are also carry the most eggs which are also carrying the best dna which are also the ones that we should allow to spawn and um that's the thing that i'm really i'm really kind of I'm having a hard time with um and the other thing i mean just another goofy part of the regulation is they have to be flying the flag right they have to prominently display a flag that tells you know nrp officers and everyone else that they're actively netting fish i don't know if y'all saw a flag on any of the boats probably not yeah, the at, skiffs but the at main the time boat. at the time i wasn't even aware of the flag rule so i did not make note of it i don't know if they had that flying or not um and and we were unsure of if anything they were doing was illegal or not or if they had any intentions of poaching bass i don't know if they do i'm not going to say that that's was their intentions or it wasn't it's very possible that they were just you know in my opinion not prioritizing getting those fish out in a timely manner um, but when the fish are in there for a day and a half you know at what point could that be considered you know possession of those fish i mean the fish were bloodied from trying to get out of the net. They were in there for so long. So that's really super disturbing to me. To yeah, hear my, that. my my concern is the fact that the regulations currently allow stuff like that to be going on, uh, you know, in that area of the bay when they, you know, they say that they're prioritizing and very concerned about uh, recreational catch and release mortality, but there's nothing wrong nothing wrong in their eyes with having those fish in the net for that period of time in that state so you know your concern is that these fish were kind of beaten up a little bit bloody so uh when we were talking on the phone before this i think you told me something that really piqued my interest that was that was kind of you know a little a little wonky and you said you called dnr and right after dnr something happened so can you can you guys can you guys shed some light on that to the listeners please yeah so chris was the first to call them um, so I don't know the exact time period, uh, but what I will say, and this could have been coincidence, you know, I'm not necessarily accusing anybody of anything, but those fish were in that net for, you know, let's call it a day and a half at least from at least when we know they were in there. We know they were in there the evening before we found them around sunrise by 3:34 PM. They were still in that net. And within, I would say, at most a half an hour calling DNR 
those guys were back and pulling that net and dumping bass out of the net. They did Isn't see that- us leave their net. Like we were over at their net for probably 10 or 15 minutes. And we only left once we heard the skip coming back. And he was probably three quarters of a mile away when we started paddling away. But he could see us maybe a half mile away, close enough that we could see him and he could see us. So we're like pedaling away from his net all slow. Well, from the direction of his net, we weren't, we were in the general area, but we weren't like alarmingly close to his net at the point that he came around. But we were leaving that direction coming from that general area. He definitely saw us leaving the net. Yeah, this is so, you know, again, I'm just going off of what I saw in the video and you know, whatever knowledge I have of Maryland fisheries. And I'm not saying this was happening right now at all, because I don't have the proof to say that, but I know back in the day before, you know, the ITQ system, when a lot of, a lot of poaching was going on, um, you know, some of these, some of these places were busted with, you know, over a million pounds, just kind of making fish, you know, disappear, not putting tags in them. So while I'm, while I'm not saying that's what was occurring here, I just think it's a little weird that those fish would have been in the net and they asked, I know, I know DNR asked y'all what the name of the vessel was and you told them, and we don't have to say the name of the vessel. And then 15, 20 minutes later, however long y'all said, all of a sudden they're taking the stripers out of the net. I find that to be a little you know, it's just one of those things where you're like, are you kidding me? Like, come on, really? Like, f- these these fish are sitting there for a day and a half. Y'all have video evidence of it. You have eyewitness evidence of it. And then you make the phone call to try to be like good, proactive, conservation-minded anglers. And within, let's say within half an hour, easy, so we're not splitting hairs, they're running over and emptying the net. I don't know. I I think you had to kind of be sitting in your kayaks being like, this is weird, right? I mean, what's going on? DNR's attitude was not uh, necessarily very welcoming to us. I mean, they they were doing their jobs, uh, kind of. I'd say sort of the the bare minimum in their their response to our calls. Uh, It did take us a while to even hear back from somebody that seemed willing to you know, actually look into it and put any real kind of effort into finding out what was going on. And, you know, as we said, we don't really know what was going on, but the one thing that was for certain, whatever was going on was really not good for those bass, uh, especially given the location and the time of year. So were they poaching them? I don't know, but it, it was not a good situation. Chris, you know, um, did that kind of, I mean, you know, y'all, y'all plan a trip. I know what it's like to plan a trip with friends. Everyone's working. It's hard for schedules to line. It's hard for weather to line up. It's pretty disappointing, right? Like you go there, you have a, you have a slam bang day, day one conditions improve on day two. How often does that happen? Usually when you wake up on day two, after a good day one, you're like, Jesus Christ, I didn't know the wind could blow this hard. You know what I mean? Or like, wow, Hey, it's, it's hailing in August or, you know, some, <laughs> some crazy like biblical thing happens. You're like, Oh my God. Hey, look, the, the, the water turned to blood. 
and everything's dead. You know, like you never have like it never goes from like good to awesome. So you you guys are waking up that morning and you're pumped day two, and you're just like, what the hell? Like, what's going on? Like, I don't get it. Right? This goes against everything I know as a fisherman. Should been lights out today. I mean, that's that's pretty depressing. Like, you gotta. That hurts as a fisherman. It was supposed to be better and better each day. Yeah, with the weather forecast, like it was going to be warming up. And the first day, the coldest day, was like really the only like great day. And then by the third day, we caught nothing. We didn't even mark any fish. And like it was the best water temperature. Like it should have probably been better than that. Like probably would have been better than that if, uh, you know, there wasn't like however many fish in their net. Because I don't think there's like a whole lot of fish where we were fishing. There was definitely enough to target but like it's not like there was a lot so they might have literally taken all the like all the fish literally might have been in their net at that point so you know why is this important because y'all have told the story and and i think i think we're trying to be professional about this we're not trying to be emotional y'all have been very clear like you know wasn't sure what was going on we you know we know that Hall sanes are legal in the Maryland portion of the bay. If you have an ITQ, um, which this this vessel had, so you know the only thing that really I think is upsetting you two as anglers is why didn't you release these fish? Why were you holding these fish for this amount of time? Because that's just not healthy for them to be in a net like that, right? Water temperature changes. They're not eating. They're stressed out. They're bumping into other fish. They're removing their slime. You know none of this is is over over an extended period of time and none of this is very good for fish and when i got a hold of y'all and was talking to you about the video if this was a normal time in in the striped bass world i I don't know if this video would have meant something but considering where we are in the amendment seven process and all the things that we're you know trying to change to recover these fish to their their once you know abundant numbers and all these things that we're willing to give up as recreational anglers that are on the table for us to take cutbacks and then you have two guys that are you know correct me if i'm wrong but you said monday tuesday wednesday so you're burning you're burning vacation days you're 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 chewing up your vacation day spending time away from your families you're going you know, you're, you're traveling to, the, you know, hell's half acre to go try to find a couple of fish. You know, the resources decline so much. That is not an easy thing to do anymore. Um, and, and then this kind of happens and you see the mistreatment of bass. So Amendment 7, you know, how does this apply to Amendment 7? So, you know, this document came out at the end of February. We've been working on it for over a year. And 4.2.2 um talks about what measures recreational anglers can take um, for release mortality. Uh, It's it's 4.2 recreational fishery management measures. And measures to address recreational release mortality is 4.2.2. So of course we have circle hooks in place already, which I think everyone can agree on. You know, you just do your best. If you're gonna fish with bait, use a circle hook. But then you start getting a little bit further down in Amendment 7 in this document, and they want to add more no-targeting days for us. 
Um, they want to drop minimum 25% reduction in directed trips. They want to have spawning area closures, uh, either no targeting or no harvest. And again, if you get back up to the top of this section, it's recreational measures. So we have until now, until April 15th, to comment on this document. And seeing this video and talking to you guys really kind of shook us up at the Guides Association. And I, I live in Maryland, so I kind of know this stuff goes on. But, you know, to suggest that it's a recreational only closure for spawning areas, if it was just said closure and not recreational closure, it would be something that the Guides Association could support. But if you're going to allow practices like this to go on, where there's nets in the water, because it's not just hall sains, you know, we have pound nets all over the bay, all over the bay. Last I checked, which was a while ago, there was somewhere in the neighborhood of like 1,500 permitted sites for pound nets. And when we asked how many were actively in the water, we were told they didn't know. So you got to figure out of 1,500, there's at least six to 800 working pound nets. And for listeners who don't understand what a pound net is, you're talking about something that's fixed gear. It's, it's basically like pine trees hammered into the, like little sapling pine trees hammered into the, uh, into the bottom with a huge net that could be several hundred yards long. And at one end of the net, there's a containment area. And, and if you don't think that those nets are placed in really strategic areas where fish swim, you'd be mistaken. And I've seen plenty of videos of pound nets being emptied with huge striped bass in them, huge, during this time of year. So I guess the question that we have for anyone who's listening and in striped bass management is why, why would you want more restrictions on recreational anglers when all of these things are going on in all the spawning tributaries up and down the bay. And I might add that we've had the three worst spawns since 1979 through 81 in the last, the last young of the years. So, you know, it's for us, it's really a question of equity. Um, and it, you know, what's good for the goose is good for the gander. And I don't care if you take 10% of the catch or 15 or 20 or five. You know, we all should have to play by the same rules. And in Maryland in particular, recreational anglers have really taken it on the chin. We're completely shut out. <coughs> Sorry about that, Cody. We're completely shut out in April. We're not allowed to target. We're shut out for several weeks in the summer, not allowed to target. And, you know, how much more can you take from us? Because it gets to a point where it's not going to be worth buying a $100,000 center console or, or having a $4,000 slip or spending untold thousands, just as long as my wife doesn't hear that, uh, a couple of hundred bucks a year, maybe, honey, uh, on fishing gear and uh, and stuff like that. I mean, how long have y'all been striped, uh, striped bass fishing? You're, you're, you're two young guys. I'm old as dirt, so you look young to me. How, how long have y'all been striped bass fishing? 20 years. Yeah, it's a 14, 15 years. Okay. So you saw some good fishing in your day. 
Yeah, you saw, I didn't really you know saw what some pretty what good I was fishing. doing back when it was good, but yeah, yeah, I saw. Some. We got robbed because we learned while it was really good, and then it declined as we started to figure it out. And yep. now we're left with uh, you know what we got now, but. Yeah, it's hard enough I mean. to catch those fish, but when you're going up against the conditions and the low numbers, and then you got a boat like we encountered netting all the fish we're trying to catch. I mean, the, the number of fish that were in that net we saw is the amount that we had the highest hopes we could have to catch in our entire three-day trip. Well, they scooped them all up in a net in, you know, half of a day. So, Well, I guess, the, you know, I guess the big picture here is, guys, is um... – you know, when you look at something like this occurring and and the first thing that you hear from DNR is, well, this isn't illegal. So, you know, it's not illegal. It's fine. You can do that. That's got to be pretty add, depressing, too. DNR came back there and checked us and checked our licenses and did not bother to check the commercial fishermen. I'm assuming because they're very familiar with who those guys were. But that was on Monday. On Monday, yeah, DNR showed up and checked us kayakers while this boat was working, and he did not check that boat. Well, you guys look like you're up to no good. I mean, I'm looking at you right now, so you yeah, know, I definitely, I definitely stop and I, I would stop and frisk if I saw you pedal past me in your kayaks, you know, for sure. Like that's come on, man. I mean, let's be honest here. You know, um, I, 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 my, my heart goes out to those officers that had to be a, uh, that had to be a scary moment when they approached you guys and asked for their, for your licenses. Right. Yeah. That's so, some brave um, goals for that one. Yeah. Yeah. So, uh, so this this whole thing is just pretty fascinating to me. Um I guess I would if it was if it was the most innocent of things, if there was something going on, a problem with the net, and you know, who knows what happens. I don't fish hall saints, but let's say there was a there was a problem with the net and the, and they had to keep, you know, those fish there for a little bit longer. It, none of it makes any sense to me. It doesn't pass the smell test at all. Why would you leave those fish in there for so long? I mean, either, e look, either you're going to do something with those fish or you really don't care that much about the resource. That's it. Unless there's something I don't understand and there was a problem with the net and for whatever reason, those fish couldn't be taken out. Um, whatever percentage chance that is, I apologize if that's the case. but. And if me, you look in the video, at least yeah. I believe it's in the video, they had a large landing net in that small boat that the net was tied up to. And it seems to me if they really wanted to get those bass out before they folded that net up and, you know, really compacted all those fish together, they could have netted some of those fish out. I mean, when we first found the net in our kayaks, had we had a large landing net like that and had the proper gear, waders and such, we could have netted them out ourselves. So they could have got them out if they really wanted to, in my opinion. Even if they mildly wanted to, yeah, it would have been easy for them to get them out of there. Well, that's infinitely tried. depressing to hear that. Yeah. Oh, yeah. That sucks. And they were working on the net for hours, like while we were fishing. I'm actually going to pull up the video now. I think you can see that landing net in the video. 
that I'm referring to. In at least one of the videos you can, yeah, because I remember screenshotting it. So, Chris, while Brennan's looking that up, yep, you said they were there. working. It's there. So you said yep. they were working the net. Do you mean they were going through the net and picking fish out and putting them into baskets? What do you mean? Yeah, they were they were picking fish out of the net. Yeah. They were there for three hours or so, maybe four hours, just picking shad out and whatever else. But yeah, just, just working and working, doing whatever they were doing. You mean when they came back that morning? Like they came there in the morning and they worked for like three, four hours. Right, right. Yeah. Okay. And they were just yep. picking shad or picking fish. But they didn't take all the fish because there was still a lot of shad in the net when we came back and it was all folded over. But I don't really know because we weren't paying too close attention. We were kind of just letting them work. We kind of, I give them the benefit of the doubt. I mean, if there's people doing stuff, it's not my business per se what they're doing. So I gave them the benefit of the doubt, but I wasn't expecting the bass to still be in the net, you know, when they left. Easily had enough time and resources to get those fish out of there easily. Yeah, that's, I don't, you know, for me, um, you would just hope that someone's whose livelihood depends on good populations of fish would just maybe think about it a little bit more, uh, especially when those fish are on their spawning runs. And it really, I guess it really brings to light you know, uh, a, a lot of the stuff that we deal with in fisheries management feels like it's just half measures and it's never really doing anything, you know, not enough to have a positive impact, you know, enough to recover this iconic species. And that's really what kind of what I'm left with after, after listening to y'all talk, you know, I'm looking at all these restrictions that they want to slap on recreational anglers. And, you know, I say, bring it on right? Like, bring it on. Let's recover these fish. Let's get them back to 2006. Let's have the heyday again. You know, let's, let's all have some fun. But I think it's all worth nothing. Because, you know, look, we all know there's less, less striped bass. Now there's a lot less striped bass. And if, if you guys are fishing an area and somebody comes in with a big net, works it, and y'all aren't catching anything after that, you know, you kind of start thinking about with the few fish that are left, how valuable, you know, are those fish? So that's number one. And number two, you look at it and you say, okay, if these fish were to start coming back, what are they going to catch three, four, five times? What was in that hall saying? How are they? I guess I'm just trying to paint a picture that there's nothing fair, nothing equitable about these regulations coming down to, to blame all this on recreational mortality. You know, there's, there's just as many instances like this that, that happen on the commercial side. They're kind of getting a free pass on all this stuff. And, and to the, the real, the real kick in the nuts at the end of the day is these are fish that are staging to spawn uh, during the first wave, the biggest and the best that we have. Um, and I, I don't know. It's to me, it's just it's frustrating as I'll get out. I can't even begin to explain how frustrating it is. Um, you know, what would be what would be your message to the listener? Because I got to tell you, 90 percent of 99 percent of the listeners have never seen what y'all saw because it doesn't occur in other places. Right. 
it just it just doesn't so like what what would be your message to the listeners before we uh before we let everybody go for the night well i I would like to point out that i believe what we saw is going on all over the bay i mean that that was one net that we looked at i don't know exactly what those guys were doing obviously uh, but they were in and out throughout each day we were there and i believe it's likely that they had many other nets Uh, there was nearby tributaries that were well within range for their boats and i believe you know this is going on all over the bay so i don't think this was a you know special situation that we just encountered this one net i think this is a pretty pretty big issue that needs to be you know acknowledged i mean when and they're talking about recreational catch and release mortality, I don't believe any of those fish survived that they released. So that that banged up that bad. They, I mean, they're you can see a little bit in the videos. Their you know their tails sticking through their nets. Um, I mean, their tails were banged up. Uh, the very few that did come to the surface, you could see their face. Their faces were all red and rashed up and bloody uh, from trying to force their way through the nets. Um, so you can't tell me for one second that those fish were, were in good condition at all. And, um, when you have that many fish in that small of an area, uh, you know, I'm not a fisheries biologist, but when you have that many fish breathing, taking the oxygen out of the water in that area, I mean, for all I know, they can't breathe. They're banging the hell out of each other too, right? That's yeah. the thing. They're banging against the net. They're banging, they're removing that slime layer. They're, they're banging against each other. They're panicked right lactic acid buildup like yeah they're gonna build up stress they're gonna be you know freaked out i mean i like i said i'm not a fisheries biologist i don't know what that does to a pregnant fish or their eggs or anything but stress probably not good so so chris you got any parting thoughts before i finish up with some housekeeping issues i mean i have a lot of thoughts i don't know it's hard to just going on to what Brennan was saying, when we checked the net at seven in the morning that morning, I mean, you could already see the fish were already like bruised. Like I have a picture of one on my phone and it's just got like white marks all over its head and back and like clearly had been struggling all night. And yeah, I mean, like Brennan said, there's no way that this is like a one, there's nets all over the bay. Like you said, if there's 600 pound nets going up the bay, in like the 600 best spots in the bay or even in the like 100 best spots in the bay. Yeah. They have strategy. Commercial guys are are strategically placing their nets. Yeah. So if you have like nets in the hundred best places, how many fish, what percentage of like the migratory striped bass are ending up in these nets and then what percentage are being released alive? I mean, even if most are being released alive, you're still getting the mortality that would probably rival that of the uh, the recreational guys. It gets it definitely gets a little confusing, and you know, um, <clears throat> make no mistake, for anyone who's listening to this and lives in another state, you know, things can get kooky here uh, in in Maryland, and and people can take things really the wrong way. So these guys taking this video and and putting it out. Uh, for the public to look at, you know, kudos to them shows me how much they care about the resource. Um, You know, guys, thank you so much for coming on. Uh, Listeners, our positions on Amendment 7 will be up on uh, on our website, saltwaterguidesassociation.org. 
you can you can see all 18 <laughs> of the of the options out there what what positions that we took on each one um it'll be under the stripe bass alert page we made a snazzy little infographic so it'll be real easy to comment if you do send your comments into asmfc it doesn't matter what your comments are we just want people to participate in the process you don't have to agree with everything that we'd agree on but if you cc striper comments at gmail.com we get all of those emails and we're going to have another sick raffle um just for taking the time to participate right you don't have to agree with what we said but there's gonna be an awful lot of cool stuff from costa and sims and you know all of our hopefully we'll get some yeti stuff in there um god we'll have some stuff from probably van stall and you know just just every everyone that sponsors us everyone that helps us out the whole community's pulling together so uh send those comments in cc striper comments at gmail.com um really appreciate everyone listening to the cop podcast appreciate brennan and chris being on here and for uh having a sack big enough to to post to post these net uh videos if you haven't seen them find them on instagram um and uh we will we will be back real soon with another episode of season two of the guidepost well i would like to point out that I believe what we saw is going on all over the bay.